Here we go. It's episode 11 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. I'm Joe Serralo. Joining me, as he is every episode, it's my man, Mackenzie Rivers. And Mackenzie, I mean this in the most platonic way possible, but you are hot, my man. You cashed in another winner last episode. You're on a roll. Thank you, sir. I mean, 55% is the goal, 70% is a nice way to start off. I mean, I've been at pregame for two and a half years, and I honestly, not until about six months ago, even considered having my own progress podcast on RJ Bell's Dream Preview, because I was I came here as a fan, I came here as an intern, and then an employee, so to be part of the, of the music here, to have my own, and, you know, co-hosting it with you, my friend, it's, 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 Regardless of the record, it's it's awesome to do, and I feel I owe it to to have at least some you know some decent results. So you know, obviously, past performance is no guarantee of future results, but I felt like it's the least I could do to go with you, Joe. Now we are thirteen and seven to start off this podcast. That is a very good number. We're gonna keep it up. Yeah, not bad at all. Sixty five percent between us. Look, I would say that my record of six and four. That's turning in decent results. But you, my friend, you hit the sexy 70 that we talked about last episode. So seven and three through 10 best bets. You're killing it. I know that uh, we can't wait to give our best bets tonight. In fact, Mackenzie and I had the same best bet. So I called an audible. I had to give Mackenzie his respect since he got uh, he broke the tie last episode. He got his best bet right. I didn't. I let him keep the pick that we were going to ride with. And, and I called the audible at the line of scrimmage. But Mackenzie, let's dive in. Frank Vogel. Benching Russ Westbrook the other night in the final four minutes of the Lakers' 111-104 loss to Indiana. We talked about that game and how we both liked the Lakers minus four and a half. Uh, I think you actually almost made that your best bet last episode. Am I right? It was in consideration, yes. So I could very, very easily be six foot and four right with right with you there. So, uh, you know, short sample size, hundreds of games from now, we have an accurate representation of how I'm doing as an NBA handicapper. But the only way to get there is to do your best on every single pick. Absolutely. Well, looking at what happened in this game and the Lakers letting an early big lead slip away and Frank Vogel eventually benching Russ for the final four minutes, it makes me wonder, Mackenzie, who's going to last longer in Los Angeles? Will it be Frank Vogel or Russ Westbrook? Well, Frank Vogel is not expected to make $47 million next year. He doesn't have, I don't know if there is such a thing as a coach option with a team and a coach. But Russell Westbrook has a player option, which I'm going to go ahead and bet that he opts into for $47 million. That is $3 million more than LeBron will be played next year. $3 million more than Kevin Durant will be paid next year. Russell Westbrook's about 20 to 30 to 40 slots in the NBA pecking order below those guys I just mentioned. So yeah, unfortunately for Lakers fans, I feel like you're much more likely to see Frank Vogel go first and Russell Westbrook, whether you want him or not, stuck around for another year or two. Yeah, I think he just hit the nail on the head entirely. Look, with that said, though, I do think Vogel benching Russ in favor of Malik Monk towards the uh, end of that game down the stretch there was completely justified. I mean, I have absolutely no issue with it. It was well-deserved. You know, to me, if you're, Ru- if you're Russ in that situation and you're going to be that upset to the extent where you actually storm off the court and leave this, uh, not the Staples Center, the Crypto.com Arena, before the game's over, I mean, play some defense. Like, that could all be rectified if you just actually go out there and show some effort, right? Make the plays that require effort and not just skill. Russ has no one to blame right now but himself. 
And, you know, you can be pissy and bratty and mad at the coach, but Vogel's done a lot of things wrong so far as coach of the Lakers. This isn't one of them. I think Vogel is 1000% justified. Unfortunately, you know, like you said, the fact of the matter is he's the one on the hot seat, not Russ. And right now the Lakers have a six game road trip upcoming on the East Coast that we discussed at length last episode. And Vogel might not make it back to Los Angeles if we don't see some results on this road trip. I thought it was very, very telling that Chris Haynes made the report, and I quote, Los Angeles Lakers will not be making a personnel move at this juncture, and Frank Vogel will travel with the team to coach in Orlando on Friday. This is the first press release I've ever seen that says, coach will coach team in tomorrow's game. And the reason why Chris Haynes smartly reported that and got a lot of hype from it is because it was a very polarizing question whether that collapse getting absolutely blown out in the fourth quarter. I know because I was pretty sure I was going to win when I was up 15 in the first quarter and felt decent when I was up three to enter the fourth, but it was not close. The Pacers just demolished the Lakers in the fourth quarter. And here's the thing about Frank Vogel. I think if there's one player in Staples or SoFi or Crypto Arena or whatever that there's one person that we know his motivations are pure, that he wants to win the game. That person is not LeBron James, who has endorsement deals and million dollars of contracts, whether or not he wins, has championship aspirations, whether or not he has the same coach or same roster that he has right now. He'll move the pieces around. It's not Russell Westbrook, who wants to be an all-star, wants to be uh, the perennial Hall of Fame type MVP voter vote getter that he's been throughout his career. He wants that pub. He's not immune to what it brings. He knows very well what it brings. But Frank Vogel just wants to be the head coach of the NBA LA Lakers team, the most successful team in franchise history, most successful franchise in NBA history. He just wants to maintain his job. So when he says, yeah, I played the guys that I thought were going to win the game, I believe him without batting an eye. The question is, now that we know that it's been said by the coach my $47 million a year player is not going to help me win the game. Man, that, that lowers his trade value to zero, and it makes a very, very dicey situation. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned Malik Monk was one of the players that subbed in when Westbrook went out. So was Austin Reeves, a rookie that has been getting uh, increasing playing time. And Stanley Johnson has been getting increasing playing time. What do those three players have in common? Well, when they were 10 years old, they were watching LeBron in the finals. They have idolized this guy. They are clearly in a different generation, and they are willing to do whatever it takes. Here's a quote from Stanley Johnson after their last game, after their last win, I should say, against the Jazz. LeBron's a smart player. Do this. All right, I'll do it. Do this. All right, I'll do that too. It's as simple as that went. LeBron's one of the great minds in the NBA, whether or not he uses that mind for basketball excellence or for own Personal statification is um, for me to decide and, and write in my book that I'm writing. But it's very, very clear that he knows the ins and outs of the X's and O's of the NBA very, very extremely accurately. Russell Westbrook, I'm not going to say he's not a smart player. He, do, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying he's especially smart either. He does dumb things on the basketball court. But that's not really what I want to emphasize. You, you talk about effort. And he doesn't make the effort plays. I don't think anyone would question Russell Westbrook's engine, how much he wants to imprint his force onto the game. But effort's a skill. 
And it's not only how fast you run when you're on defense, and it's not only uh, whether or not you're, you're willing to box out your man or if you're just going for your own rebound. It's moving around the court in effective ways that are taking opportunities or taking defenders away and creating opportunities for your teammates. Russell Westbrook standing 30 feet from the basket saying, I'm really going to try when I get the ball. Just, just wait till I get the ball. I'm really going to try. You can't effort that. That effort isn't going to yield a team that's functioning, a LeBron team especially, with all the all that he demands as a ball handler. That's not going to be a net positive. People said this in the summer. I'm not bringing anything to the table that people didn't enumerate very clearly. Russell Westbrook cannot work with LeBron James optimally. It doesn't say they can never work together, but it won't work optimally. I think what we're seeing now is an extended period without Anthony Davis means both players have to raise their usage and how much they matter to the team. And I think it's zero sum at this point. I think LeBron has been able to effectively raise his game and Westbrook has struggled to figure out where he fits in that picture. And I don't see it getting better. Almost trading him and taking taking a negative value back is worth it at that this point. I just don't see how you can go forward on a championship run with this current dynamic. Yeah, negative value might be a positive if it means LeBron right. getting more shots and Russ, you know, not doing any damage, not missing 15 shots on 20 attempts. It, it might actually be a net positive at the end of the day, especially with AD out. And you brought up a really good point because no one can question Russ's engine. And I said effort, and I, and I selected that word very carefully because, in my opinion, watching Russ for, what, over a decade in this league, it doesn't take much effort for him to be the most freakishly athletic guy on the court. Now, obviously, this year he's LeBron's teammate, and LeBron is one of the most freakishly athletic guys we've ever seen, so you can have that debate if you want to. I'm not here to have that right now. Russ, on almost any given night, is the most athletic guy on the court. No disputing that. It doesn't take much effort for Russ to race down the court faster than others, for Russ to drive in the lane and throw up a sick dunk and posterize someone, right? That doesn't take a whole lot because he's so athletically freakish and gifted. When I say effort, I'm talking about exactly what you said. Move when the ball's not in your damn hands, right? Play defense. I mean, Karis LeVert just blew by him. This is a guy who had his knee redone a year or two ago, and he blew by him in crunch time. And I'm sorry, but it didn't look like Russ made a whole lot of effort to stop him. I mean, he just let LeVert get to the rack at will right before he was benched. And ultimately, I mean, you know, that was a huge play. Woj even, you know, wrote about that specific play in the article that came out yesterday. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, get this man off the court. Obviously, Vogel was too. And, you know, at the end of the day, Vogel's going to be the scapegoat. But that's why I say he's a thousand percent justified because Russ is athletic enough. He is skilled enough. He's got the engine to get in Karis LeVert's way. He just didn't put in the effort to do so. And you're not going to win any games doing that. And I'm sorry, but I know LeBron, he may defend him to the press, which is the right thing to do as a teammate and as a leader and as a captain. But I know LeBron wasn't thrilled with that effort we saw from Russ in that game. Pre-game zone, A.J. Hoffman made an interesting point in pre-production before straight out of Vegas, five days a week on, actually six days a week, including the weekend show on Fox Sports Radio. Get it on your favorite iHeart player. Anyway, what he said was, why isn't anybody talking about Rob Palenka? Rob Palenka. I mean, everyone's talking about the roster and the coach about to get fired and LeBron. And that's the triangle. LeBron's playing great, but the team's struggling, but the coach is getting fired because the roster doesn't fit. Well, most teams actually hire a man 
that's not a player that solely deals with creating a functioning roster. That person's Rob Palenka. I don't think his job is in question. I don't think he's going to get any heat because that would be an admission from LeBron's camp, because LeBron is the shadow GM, that he didn't exactly get this one right. Yeah, that's a very fair point. And look, I'm a LeBron defender. I love LeBron. I think, you know, we had this argument a few episodes ago. I think LeBron's the best to ever lace him up. But nothing you just said right there is wrong. LeBron has been a shadow GM everywhere he's gone since his first stint in Cleveland on his rookie contract. And the fact of the matter is, you know, it's he got his wish. He wanted Russ. There's no disputing that. I just think right now you look at what's going on and he's very unhappy with how things turned out. But Mackenzie, I want to take things to another historic NBA franchise. I want to take it from LA and the Gold Coast to your home team, the Chicago Bulls. Because while we talk about Russ, the point guard for the LA Lakers, the Bulls point guard, Lonzo Ball, has opted for surgery and will be out the next six to eight weeks. So Mackenzie, I ask you, how much will his prolonged absence impact the Bulls and their fight for the top seed in the Eastern Conference over the next two months as we start to approach the final stretch? Lonzo Ball, yes, he's had an excellent season for his standards. But if you look at some of his advanced stats, yeah, he's improving, but is he really a game-changing point guard? Lonzo Ball is a 14.8 PER, ESPN stat from John Hollinger, player efficiency rating. Well, 15 is supposed to be average, so he's slightly below average. It's not not unusual for a high-volume shooter to be maybe a the, – the metric doesn't really figure how that can be valuable even if the, if the efficiency is in there, making them only 14.9. Well, Russell Westbrook is also putting up eight rebounds and eight assists a game and scoring 18 points a game, and his PR, player efficiency rating, is 15.1. So it's almost exactly the same – as Lonzo Ball, meaning the metric says these are average point guards. Big names, but average point guards. I do think, however, unlike we talked about, you said I thought it was well said, that an absence of a negative can be a positive. This is the this is the opposite situation where Lonzo Ball might not be, you know, talent-wise that much of a positive for the Bulls. But you think about the momentum Billy Donovan had going in Chicago. You think about the way that Zach, he was the kind of the conduit between the other great guards on that team, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. I was kind of worried about this team teetering already. They had, they had gone on a recent poor stretch before you hit your best bet on the, on the Bulls beating the Cavs. But now that they've, they're kind of off that super hot streak, you add this, you add a major 35 minutes a game guy out the window. Yeah, I'm concerned. I think, I think, I mean, I never put them in the, in the, in the, Eastern Eastern Conference contender category, never. But now I think they, they're, they're going to struggle to win a playoff series. It, well, it's six to eight weeks. I guess they'll be back. But they're going to be more like an eight seed than like a three seed that they have been, I think, in the next few weeks, eight weeks without him, without Lonzo Ball. Interesting. You know, by the way, first off, I just want to say shout out to the guy on Twitter who uh, who tweeted at us nastily and asked if we even watch basketball because we both had the Bulls beating the Cavaliers. What did the Bulls do? They beat the Cavaliers. Um, but in, in regards to Lonzo, you know, I don't want to say that the Bulls are better off without him. First off, I, I did not like the whole uh, sign and trade that went down. Um, I just don't think Lonzo is worth his contract. I've never liked him really in this league. I just, you know, going back to his UCLA days, I said his game is not going to translate. I thought he was overdrafted. I'm just not a Lonzo fan, never have been. But like I said, I don't want to say the Bulls are better off without him. 
But the facts are, in the eight games he's missed, it's not a ton, but I'd say it's enough to, you know, give uh, an informative sample size. The Bulls are 6-2 and two straight up in the eight games without Lonzo Ball. Now, to me, I see this as an opportunity because Lonzo will be back in time for the playoffs. And if the Bulls fall out of rhythm, they'll have about a month before the playoffs to get back into rhythm. But in the meantime, they're safely a playoff team. Yes, there's a chance. I mean, they could fall to a four or five seed. They could retain home court in the first round. But in my opinion, looking forward to the future, Kobe White, you're up, baby. I mean, White has, in my opinion, really held his own as Lonzo's backup and as a combo guard who, you know, sometimes can share the floor with Lonzo. He's averaging almost 13 points per game, only two and a half assists. But in his nine starts this year, eight of which have come when Lonzo's been out, he's averaging over 15 points per game and over four assists per game. You know, he's a better shooter than Lonzo Ball. I don't think too many people out there can dispute that. And they have identical assist to turnover ratios, which is really, you know, what you look for at the point guard position. It's like, yeah, they lose a little bit on defense here. And, you know, the Bulls are not a big defensive team with guys like DeRozan and Levine, Vucevic, you know, they don't play a whole lot of defense. Lonzo's definitely one of their better defenders, but they've already proven that they can win without Lonzo. White's already proven that he's more productive without Lonzo in the lineup. And to me, ultimately, you know, he talked about Russ leaving the Lakers. How that means LeBron, a higher percentage shooter, gets more shots. Well, in this case, it means that DeRozan, a 50% shooter compared to Lonzo Ball's 42% from the floor, means that he gets more shots. And Zach Levine, when he returns, hopefully right after this three-game road trip, it means that he, another 50% shooter, will get more shots. So I don't want to be as harsh as we were with Russ and say that Lonzo out of the lineup makes the Bulls an entirely better team. But it gives Levine more shots. It gives DeRozan more shots. White's played better without ball. And the Bulls do average seven more points per game without ball than with him. 117 points per game in the eight he's missed. 110 in the 35 he's played. Brought up some excellent points. And I want to clarify, I don't think the Bulls are going to play that much worse because Lonzo Ball uh, was so important to that team. I just think they might be knocked off kilter because they had so much momentum. That said, that might be presumptuous, thinking that they will lose that momentum. They did have that big win versus uh, the Cavaliers with Colby White. And you mentioned the pre-draft expectations. I don't think anyone was as sky-high, pie-in-the-sky ridiculous as Lonzo Ball at number two. Talked about one of the great point guards, and I think I know why. He's one of those players that a lot of NBA analysts love to say, he doesn't even have to shoot. He doesn't even have to score. Look at that swing pass from wing to wing look I mean as just as much as I was talking about how Westbrook uh isn't prioritized and hasn't learned doesn't have the skill to make those effort plays like screening sometimes you also need to be to be an elite guard in the league point guard or shooting guard you also got to be able to put the ball in the bucket and Kobe White yeah Alonzo Ball had a great shooting start to this season he was shooting over 43 percent Kobe White historically you're right no one would argue is known to be a much better shooter. So if he's in that rotation and if he uh, catches that same kind of chemistry, and I really think that's important, that's that trio of the three best guards on a team is what will tell you the future of that team in most instances. So the chemistry will be very interesting. Great early returns with that big win over the Cavs. Another thing, I also think Kobe White props will be an interesting play, but I hate one 
there's an injury or something and I recommend I put on Twitter at Mac and Rivers, by the way, I'll throw up, hey, you know, look at X player. He's going to get a lot more ups and then he'll have a couple of good games and they'll juice the price. And right when I tweet it is right when they juice the price. And it's not always necessarily you got to pick your spots. You can't just jump in as soon as a player gets a starting role. And we see that. So the Cavs put up uh, they put up the over under for White at 17 and a half points versus the Cavs. He only scored 16, so it went under. Previous game against the Grizzlies, they put it up at 17 and a half. He only scored 16. It went under. However, you go back a few games when he was just starting, 15 and a half against the Celtics, way over easily. 13 and a half a few games ago against the Pistons, he only scored 13. So keep an eye on that number because I do think there will be some overs uh, that are very attractive if Kobe White ends up being a 35 minutes a game guy. Hasn't been that up to this point, but there's a big vacuum now. And we saw Nikola Vucevic, the center, uh, his role within the team fluctuate a lot. Was the starter playing every minute? Then he was playing half the game. He was more of a bench player. So if Kobe White ends up being one of the five guys that's in there in crunch time, in there all the time, could be it. Could I mean a lot of ifs, a lot of contingencies, but I do think. Yeah, there's a very good chance he could be an effective scorer. He was when the team was bad a couple years ago. When the team had nothing, he was out there gunning. I do think he has the upside that Lonzo Ball doesn't as far as a scorer right now with the Bulls. Yeah, so let's get into it, man. Bulls, Bucks, Friday night hoops, games in Milwaukee, and the Bucks are eight and a half point favorites right now. What do you think about this game? Bucks have been 70% or so against the, the NBA Central Division. The last three years, those are the years that they've won, obviously, that championship. And they've also been like a top, uh, you know, plus 10 scoring margin team the last three years and this one. So all those times, three and a half years. However, the NBA Central Division is a lot different than it has been. It is no longer the cakewalk, at least in Chicago, that it has been. So this is a big test for the Bulls. I mean, nine's a big number. Nine assumes that the Bulls are not even close to what they've been most of this season. I think, you know, three weeks ago before the Bucks, I mean, the Bucks slide, so it should be even more. But three weeks ago, this number would have been maybe six and a half, I think. But the, the Bulls have been really discounted. Could be an opportunity here if, we, if we're correct in our assumption that Lonzo Ball is probably a neutral player to the Bulls, then this number is too high. If that's the case, then yes, it is. But the Milwaukee Bucks right now, I mean, they're tough to figure, right? Last episode, my best bet was fading the Bucks. It was the Grizzlies plus six and a half. But now I think we've got enough of a sample size over the last nine to look at Milwaukee and the way that they've played. First off, to your point, yeah, they're still above average against the Central Division, five and three against the spread against their own division so far this year. But in their last nine games, while they're only three and six, both straight up and against the number, Those three wins and three covers have come against the Brooklyn Nets on the road, the Golden State Warriors, and the Memphis Grizzlies. So while they've lost outright to Atlanta, Detroit, Toronto twice, they've showed up when the opponent's been worthy. They demolished Golden State. They absolutely wrecked Memphis in the first half. Grizzlies made it 114-111. I was getting hopeful for my best bet. And then they closed the game on a 12-3 run. They win by double digits. And they created late separation between themselves and Brooklyn in that one. You know, those three games were not particularly close throughout. So 
while eight and a half is a big number and I'm not going to play that number, it wouldn't shock me if Milwaukee won by double digits the same way it wouldn't shock me if they won by six or seven. They're going to win. That, that's just a tough number to play. We almost got there. I was, I was, I was watching. I wasn't watching the game, but I was watching the the play by play, and it really looked like for the second time, both times that we kind of went oppo, where I did a first half play for, for my best bet on the Bucks, and you had the Grizzlies on the game, and I didn't disagree with you. I said my power rating support the play, and I do think the Grizzlies will have a monster third quarter, which was a bonus best bet of yours, another winner. You mentioned the Bucks in the first half. 2019, 29 and 18, 62% on the season. So if you think the price is a little bit high, but you also think the Bucks are very likely to be in control of this game, what do you think about the first bet? First half is a bet. McKenzie, I think it's my best bet. I'm going with the Bucks up to oh. minus four and a half with my best bet. Look, you mentioned it. Their record in terms of covering in the first half. 29 and 18, it's the second best mark in the NBA. Only Cleveland at an ungodly 32 and 13 is better. But Milwaukee actually has the best first half margin in the NBA. They're outscoring opponents by five and a half points per game in the first half. Over their last three, they're outscoring opponents by 10 on average in the first half. And at home on the season, outscoring opponents by an average of seven and a half points per first half. Now, Chicago on the road has an even margin in the first half. And over their past three games, the Bulls are actually averaging a three-point halftime deficit. All of those games, Zach Levine has missed. Zach Levine will not be back for this one. So I'm not as worried about Lonzo being out McKenzie. But to me, the much bigger loss, the far bigger loss is Levine. Because now the Bulls can't start Kobe White and Levine. They can't start Lonzo and Kobe White. It's probably going to be Kobe White. And if they go big, DeMar DeRozan at the two, or if they go small, Kobe and Caruso might be your starters in the backcourt. I just don't see how that matches up to this Milwaukee team. I think Milwaukee is going to be extra juiced. It's a divisional game. They're at home. They're going to come out roaring like they always seem to do. Bucks up to minus four and a half. My best bet. I like it a lot. It's likely to make my card. They're also remember Drew Holiday made his re- return. He played you know limited minutes off the bench. He's going to be much closer. I love when a player gets that first game under their belt. I've talked about this on this podcast before. That next game, I assume they're almost 95 to 100% because they had to test it. But once it's tested, they're able to get their conditioning the next day, full workout in, you know, treatment. They're able to get back in that midseason form. So Drew Holiday against a depleted guard core in the Bulls. Yeah, I'm licking my chops with Zach Levine out. And then... If the Bucs played a neutral team, I would I would look to isolate the first half because they've been so dominant in the first half and so meh in the second half. But when you look at a team like the Bulls that have double the positive scoring margin, you know, plus two in the second half versus only plus one in the first half, just another another reason to play it. If it was close, which I don't know if it necessarily is in this case, that would tip the scales in the Bucks' first half favor. Very astute play. You actually have the same best bet as me, or you did. You came, We came in on our paper with the same number, the same team, and you switched to a play that I like almost as much. So I'm, I'm not sure who's learning from whom. I think we're both learning from each other, but excellent play. I endorse it. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I was not a first half better until I met you, McKenzie. So you definitely, you know, me having to call the audible here out of respect to you having the better record, you've definitely influenced that audible. I think, though, at the end of the day, 
we're both going to play each other's picks. I, th- I think we're playing both of these best bets on our actual cards. So let's get to the other game I want to talk about. It's the Memphis Grizzlies at the Denver Nuggets. And this is a really interesting game because you've got the Nuggets, who are 23 and 20, and you've got the Grizzlies, who are 31 and 16, yet the Nuggets are four-point home favorites in this one. Mackenzie, does that surprise you at all? It does surprise me. And reading into it, there are some, uh, you know, when Grizzlies are such a deep team that you don't even recognize some of the names. They're actually big scorers for them. But Desmond Bain, not going to be there. Dylan Brooks, a little bigger of a name, also going to be out. So that, so my initial blush was, wow, that number is crazy wrong. It makes a little more sense when you think about the uh, the Grizzlies injury situation. But I don't like it. I don't think the favorite here necessarily should be favored. I don't think they have a very good shot at covering this number. Just think about the game that they just played in against the Clippers, who are not a very good team, not close to what this Grizzly team is right now. Overtime, big lead in the first half, blow it. Big deficit in the second half. Jokic gets crazy hot. Jokic plays the game of his life, literally, 49, 14, and 10. And those stats pale in comparison to the single highlight play, and he said it was like any other pass, I, I don't think so. Double teamed literally with five seconds to go. He looks one way. He looks another way. He makes a perfectly timed, perfectly weighted pass to a spot that it was just vacated by a defender. Literally a half second before the defender had made a rotation. Boom. Jokic is firing it to the corner. Aaron Gordon gets the three. He gets his name on the uh, ESPN banner, Gordon three-pointer. But that was the play of the season, in my opinion, and probably the play of Jokic's career. So coming off that high, that adrenaline rush against a team that's won 12 of 14, has already beaten you twice this year, sets up for a ba- like a bad spot for the Nuggets, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't really like what the Nuggets have to offer. You, you look at this game and you mentioned it, you know, they went behind big in that second quarter to the Clippers, came back, took it to OT, won. But you've got Jokic put up damn near a 50 piece at 49 of their 130. And you look beyond Jokic, and this team doesn't offer a whole lot. Jokic and Gordon combined for nearly 80 out of their 130. So when you're opposing a team like the Memphis Grizzlies, who have a really good, tough defensive big in Steven Adams, who I think can body Jokic, has shown that in the two games that they've already played this year, where Memphis won each time down in Tennessee. And then you've got an electric backcourt with, of course, it's led by John Morant, but after him with the next man up mentality. You know, I just don't think Denver has the backcourt to keep up with the Grizzlies. And I don't, you know, Jokic is not putting up 50 again. In fact, Jokic has actually struggled in their two meetings with Memphis. He's got one double-double um, in one of the two games that were back-to-back. Didn't record a double-double, let alone a triple-double in the other one. Averaged just six assists and nine rebounds per game in those two contests. And I know nine rebounds sounds like a lot, but his average on the season is 14 per game. So the Grizzlies held Jokic in check better than almost any other opponent in basketball can. And I don't think Denver, like I said, has the guard power to keep up with them. I mean, you look at Monty Morris, right? The Nuggets went with a really big lineup last night. Monty Morris, the only true guard, he was their point guard, of course, didn't hit a three, right? Played 45 minutes, didn't hit a three. At the end of the day, Memphis, if you look at their game against Milwaukee, was historically bad from beyond the arc. Like we're talking under 20% from beyond the arc. They're not going to do that back-to-back games. And Denver just doesn't have the guard power to keep up with them. They don't have the depth to keep up with them. They had just 15 bench points 
in this game, only three bench score, uh, bench players rather actually scored. Uh, I'm with you a thousand percent. I don't like the line in this one. I don't think Denver is anywhere near as good as Memphis, even without Desmond Bain, who's been a diamond in the rough this year, even without Dylan Brooks, who is an incredibly athletic asset to this team. The Grizzlies just, I think, pound for pound, have way more to offer than the Nuggets do past Jokic. I agree with you. By the way, you know who else agrees with you that the Nuggets don't have the backcourt to compete? The Denver Nuggets, because they just made a three-team trade, trading away very important prospects, not players that were going to help them now, but Bol Bol is a very intriguing prospect, worth something in this league. They shipped him off and they got Bryn Forbes from the Spurs. His statistical profile is, is nothing to impress. It's 13 PER, nine points a game, shooting 41% from three. I can see how that's a helpful piece, but it seems too little too late for a Nuggets team that desperately misses the backcourt. So you can kind of tell by the way Joe's talking that he likes the Grizzlies, and you could deduce if he likes the Grizzlies, why hasn't he made it his best bet? Out of respect for me, I appreciate it. He deferred, and I said, yes, I want that one. I want the Grizzlies plus four. Let's make it official. That is my best bet. A couple things here. Depth. The Grizzlies have 10 playoff caliber players and missing two of them when the main guys, the best guys, Morant, Adams with this defensive matchup, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been a monster averaging four blocks a game the last 10. All those guys are going to be there. And you look at the strength of this team, it's the front court that is the perfect situation to stop the Nuggets. Didn't help last year when they didn't have Steven Adams. But now that they do, they have a one-two punch, a lengthier, rangier guy in Jaron Jackson Jr. that can get out to Nuggets, get out to Jokic at the three-point line, and they have a guy that's going to keep him from scoring, getting 20 rebounds a game. You mentioned he didn't even have a double-double. The second point I want to bring up is if you look at the first matchup early in December, the Grizzlies were home playing the Nuggets, and they were minus two, meaning They're about even teams. Maybe the Nuggets were considered at that point a little bit better. Well, since then, the Nuggets have been meandering, and the Grizzlies have been probably the upstart team, the story of the season. They're 31-16. and That's not not nothing. That is 67% winning two-thirds of their games. The Nuggets, meanwhile, are 23-20. and I think you said it accurately. They're just not as good as this team. Going up to Mount the mile high, I don't think matters so much with a, a young, again, deep team that has a lot of different bodies to throw at you. I think the Nuggets, again, coming off, uh, talk about a mile high moment, an adrenaline rush, winning an overteam, overtime on a last-second winner. I don't think they bring the same kind of uh, – I don't think they can have it in them to, to match the Grizzlies' intensities who are mad off a loss against the Bucks. So, yeah, I'm going to go – I'm going to take the points – Grizzlies plus four at Denver Friday night. Best bet. I love it. And let's please not forget, you know, I know that the Grizzlies have dropped two out of three. I know that the Grizzlies have failed to cover in two out of three. This is still a team that's won 12 out of 14 and covered an 11 out of 14, right? I I mean, this is still a team that statistically in any category, right? As a road team, as a road dog, as an underdog, they're top two or three in the NBA in all of those categories. I mean, Memphis is a legitimate team. Yes, their last three games don't look good. Look at the bigger body of work here. Look at the last 14 games, best in the NBA across any betting category. Meanwhile, Denver, 
Below 500 is a home favorite against the spread and just 11 and 18 against Western Conference opponents. The Nuggets also, McKenzie, have a knack for winning games with tight spreads and not covering. They've won eight of their last 12, but they've only covered in five out of those 12. That makes sense to me. At face value, the Nuggets play a very slow pace, very likely to end in a one possession or two possession game. One more bonus thing I think is going to help us. I mentioned they brought in Bryn Forbes. Well, it looks like he's going to make his first ever start in Denver. So that's one more thing they got to negotiate. They got Monte Morris is going to have to figure, how do I work with this guy? I think down the road, it'll be a net positive, but nothing going to help him this game. The Nuggets are way too high as four-point favorites. Love the Grizzlies plus four. Absolutely, McKenzie. Let's go 2-0 this week. I know I'm playing your pick. It sounds like you're playing mine, and that'll do it for episode 11 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition with myself, Joe Serralo. Go catch me on Twitter at TheJoeSerralo and my man, Mackenzie Rivers. Folks, go make some money on us. (laughs) 